I don't see him here, so I don't think he's here. But um, as I was preparing, he said, well, what are you even speaking about, Dakota? And I said, well, I'm talking about Moses. And he said, Moses, that's the one who parted the Red Sea, right? And I said, well, technically God did it, but yes, he's, he's the one who's accredited with that, yes. And he said, well, it looks like Moses parted the red beard on your face. And i got to tell you, that was, a, that was a hit to my self-confidence there. But I'm still excited to be here, still very thankful to be here. And uh, before we get started this, this evening, I wanted to mention something to y'all about a study that I came across as I was preparing for this. And that study was uh, New York Times. Y'all have all heard of New York Times, right? Pretty famous newspaper. And when I was reading this, it was talking about how New York Times is about to start implementing uh, two to three pages in the front of the New York Times that is just like a snippet of what is the, all the articles in the New York Times. And they may have already started doing this, but uh, basically it's just going to be a summary about every article in the New York Times, in that printout. And so the reason they were doing this is because they found that a lot of their readers uh, either do not have enough time to read all of the article, or they just can't stay focused long enough. And as I read that, I started thinking about myself, and I started thinking about how I prepare these sermons and these lessons, and every time I go over at my room, it's like 40 minutes. And then I get up here, and it's like 10, and I'm like, what did I do? I don't know what happened, but it happens every time, and, and I'm, I'm thinking this evening, I'm just going to go ahead and put the blame on y'all. Uh, it's not my fault, it's just because y'all can't stay focused long enough. And so, no, I'm just kidding. But I was challenged by that, and that we have a book right here that we don't need to read snippets of. And this evening we're going to have to, because we don't have a whole lot of time, but we're going to read a little bit of it. But you need to supplement that with reading the whole thing. Find the time and prove that stereotype wrong. Now, I don't know how many of y'all know this, but we're on a break. We're on a break from school, and, and don't get me wrong, I love breaks. I'm very thankful to be on a break. I don't like staying up late studying. Uh, but I also am not, I don't do well with breaks. I get bored. I'm very thankful that David Burgess lets me work at Burt's and use some of my time up, and I try to do odd jobs on the side to stay busy. But you know what, man? I, I get bored sometimes. And when I get bored, I start watching Netflix and TV and different things. And, and one of the things I watch on Netflix is a show called Supernatural. And I don't agree with everything in Supernatural, but I do like it. Uh, it's one of the few shows you can actually watch that doesn't have nudity every two scenes. And so I do like that, and I appreciate that about that. Uh, but the two main characters in, in Supernatural are Sam and Dean Winchester. And Sam and Dean Winchester are hunters. They hunt demons and ghosts and stuff, and it's, you know, it's all fake and everything. Uh, but I enjoy watching that. But it seems like in every episode, there's like this dramatic scene where somebody calls Sam and Dean and they're like, hey, we need you. Or the end of the world's coming and the whole world needs you. And it's real dramatic and it's drawn out. And it's like... And I started watching that, I was thinking, I was like, how cool would that be that everyone in the world needs you, right? The, the whole world depends on you. You are so good at what you do that everyone in the world needs you. And I started thinking about that, and I was like, well, I guarantee you wouldn't be bored. You wouldn't get bored if that was the case. But this evening, that's kind of what I want to talk to you all about. I want to talk to you not about the call of Sam and Dean Winchester to save the world, but about the call of Moses. And I had a PowerPoint, but I don't know if it's going to work or not, but we don't need it. But the call, there it is, the call of Moses. And in specific, I want to look at three different things, like that mood lighting, that's nice. Uh, the, the, I want to look at the call, I want to look at the consequences, if he did not answer that call, and I want to look at the courage that he had to answer that call. And so in Exodus chapter 2, we see the call of Moses. 
or we see the birth of Moses. We see the birth of a man named Moses. Moses was born, and he had a humble birth. He was born during a time when they were killing the, the male children. And so his mother, to protect him, hid him, and then sent him down a river, and the Pharaoh's daughter found him. And then starting in verse 11, we're going to read, Moses tries to be the leader that he thinks God wants him to be. And so starting in verse 11, we're going to read through 15. It says, One day when Moses had grown up, in this is chapter 2 of Exodus, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. In verse 15 he says, When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. And in this, in this call of Moses, we see something, or in this, the birth of Moses right here, we see something that's really cool. Right? Moses tried to be a leader that he thought God wanted him to be. And this is the first lesson I think we can learn. And that's that God's timing is not always our timing. It doesn't always line up. Right? Moses went out and he tried to be the leader that God wanted him to be or that he thought God wanted him to be. And they, they rebuked him and God said, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. I think back to my freshman year. Freshman year I came into college and I had a plan. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a youth minister. I wanted to be a Spanish outreach minister. And I wanted to own some storage units. And I thought, this is a foolproof plan. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get these storage units. That's going to be my income. And then I'm going to work either for a church that can't afford a youth minister or for a church that can and tell them to save that money for outreach or mission work or something like that. And then I can be a Spanish outreach minister too on the side. And I thought, this is a perfect plan. And so in order to achieve that, I obviously needed to learn how to speak Spanish. And so I went in and I had a Bible degree, a Bible major, Spanish major, and a business major. And I started freshman year and I started putting in my classes. And Bible fit in real well. Business fit in real well. And then I tried to add some Spanish classes. And it didn't work. And I got a little discouraged, but I was like, well, there's always next semester. And so the next semester came around, and I tried to add some Spanish classes again, and it didn't work. And I was like, man, God, I thought this was, this was a foolproof plan. I thought this is what you wanted me to do. And I started getting really discouraged and upset. And I was like, well, maybe, you know, people finish degrees all the time in three years. Maybe I can finish a Spanish degree in three years. i got three years left. Maybe I can do this. Sophomore year, first semester, Bible fit in real nice. Business fit in real nice. Spanish wouldn't fit very well. Because Greek meets four days a week in the mornings, and Spanish one meets four days a week in the mornings. And you can't be in two places at once. And so I finally, last year, my junior year, I got into Spanish. And I don't know if it was because God thought, you know, you'd get burnt out. I would get burnt out if I started freshman year. I, I will say this, though. I, if I would have started freshman year, I would have never met the girl I'm currently dating. And so maybe that was God's plan. I don't know what it was. But I do know that God thought I wasn't ready or knew that I wasn't ready. And God also knew that Moses wasn't ready. And much like I was discouraged and I was upset by this, Moses was also upset. And he was discouraged. And he was scared and so he fled. He fled Egypt. He went to the land of Midian. And there he lived. 
And then in chapter 3, we see the call of Moses. And in the call of Moses, we see something that's really awesome. We see that God does not want you for your connections. And I think it's really interesting that Moses was born and he was basically Pharaoh's grandson. Pharaoh's daughter found Moses and raised him. And so he was basically Pharaoh's grandson. And he had a little bit of pool, right? He had a little authority, maybe not a lot, but he had some authority and pool in Egypt. And he probably could have done a lot of good with that authority to help God's people. But God said, no, I don't need that. I don't need that. And he sent him to the land of Midian. And 40 years later, he's like, hey, now I'm ready for you to go back. After everyone's even forgotten that you even exist, now I'm ready for you to go back. And Moses is like, what? And I think it's really cool. I think it's a really important note because so many times today I hear people say stuff like, well, if I had more money, if I had more money, I'd help more people. If I had a nicer house, I'd invite more people over. Or if I was smarter, I would teach more classes, or I'd get up here and do this more, and I'd do more devos. Or if I knew more about God's Word, I'd talk to more people about God. And God says, I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need any of that. I think that Moses was pulled out of Egypt into the land of Midian, and God did that to show Moses that he doesn't need his connections and to show us that he doesn't need ours either. And the reality of the situation is if you have $20, you have enough to help somebody. And if you have a house, you have a nice enough house to have people come over for devotionals. And if you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He came to this earth and He lived and He died for your sins and you need to repent and be baptized and live for Him, you know enough to share that with somebody else. Don't use those excuses. God does not need those excuses. On Wednesday night we talked about, in the youth group class, Dustin was talking about servantship and how to be a servant. And he was talking about what keeps us from being servants and and what are the things that we struggle with. Why is it so hard for us to be servant? And a lot of people were being really honest. I thought it was a really good class. People were saying stuff like, uh, well, you know, I, I just, I don't like serving other people. Or, I just, I'm too busy. And I think we need to give children a little bit more slack sometimes. Those high school students, middle school students, they're busy. They've got schoolwork and they've got uh, football and all these different sports. They have busy schedules. And we expect them to do a lot. But they were saying, I'm just too busy. I, don't, I, don't, I can't make it out to serve other people. And I kept thinking about myself and I was like, it's not that I'm too busy. It's, it's not that I don't like doing it. I do like help, helping people. And I realized the reason I don't like serving people and serving God is, is because I'm afraid. Because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid that someone is going to ask me something I don't know the answer to. I'm afraid I'm going to knock on somebody's door and ask them if I can mow their lawn and they're going to be offended. And they're going to say, how dare you? I'm afraid. And I fear these things. And what I've learned though is that God can make it work through that fear. David Burgess asked me to do the jail ministry with him a while back when I first turned 18 and I went the first time and then uh, I was unable to go until basically just this past summer and I started going with him once and the last time we tried to go they were on lockdown but let me tell you something when he asked me to do that I did not want to say yes I was scared I was like there's no way I want to go back there I mean I'm, I, what, if they, what if they beat me up you know I don't know I was terrified But when I went back there, I just talked to them like they were my friends. 
I mean, they were just so easy to talk to. They were nice. And I was like, this God is awesome. And He can get through those fears. He can get through those things. He doesn't need our, our fears. He doesn't need any of that. He just needs us to be willing to act. And Moses did that. Right? Took some convincing. Moses was very hesitant at first. He gives many excuses. In chapter 3, verse 11, he says, Well, who am I? Who am I that I should do this? And then 3, verse 13, he says, Well, who are you then? Who are you? And then he says, Well, what if they don't believe me? In, in chapter 4, verse 1. And then chapter 4, verse 11, he says, But I'm not eloquent. And then in chapter 4, in verse 12, God just lays down the law. He gets sick of it. And He just finally says, Now therefore go. Now therefore go and I will be your mouth and I will teach you what you shall speak. So from Moses and the call of Moses, we can learn three different things. We can learn one, that God's timing is not our timing. And two, we can learn that God does not need us for our connections. He doesn't want us for our connections. And three... God just wants us to go. He just wants us to go out and do it. So are you willing to go? Are you willing to move? Now I want to look at what would have happened if Moses said no. What would the consequences have been? And the first thing I want to note from this is that God could have used anybody. Right? I want you to realize that God did not need Moses. God did not need Moses and we, God does not need us. We need God. Don't get it backwards. Moses needed God. He did not need Moses. But I also want you to think about it like this. It took 80 years before Moses was in a place in his life where God said, now you're ready to lead my people. How many people would have perished? How many Jewish people would have suffered under the Egyptian rule if Moses had said no? And I want you to think about this too. When we get the mindset that God can use somebody else, that's Satan's most effective tool in tearing the church apart. When we get to the point where we say somebody else will do it, Satan wins. This past semester I took a first aid and CPR class at Freed Hardeman. And I loved the class. It was a great class. Uh, I learned a lot of things. I'm certified in first aid and CPR now, so if anybody needs any of that, you know, just raise your hand. I'll come down there and support you. Uh, no, I hope I, I hope I never have to use any of those skills. I hope I never have to. Um, but it was a great class, and I learned a lot of things. And one of the things they talked about in that class is that when you come up on a scene, if you're the person who's providing care, if you're the person who's helping, and you need somebody to call 911, that's the most important step, that you, you activate the EMS to call 911. And they said, if you're the one giving care and you can't call 911, never ever say the words, someone call 911. Because as soon as you say, someone call 911, no one's going to call 911. They said, rather you need to point at somebody and you say, hey Bob, you call 911. Or hey Kevin, you call 911. If you don't know their name, you in the red shirt, you call 911. You know, you get their attention, you look them in the eye, you point at them and you say, you call 911. And you put the responsibility on them. Because as soon as you say the word, somebody call 911, nobody's going to call 911. Everybody is going to assume that somebody else is going to take care of it. It's called diffusion of responsibility. And it's a huge, huge problem when it comes to somebody's life. It's a huge problem. But how much bigger of a problem is it when it comes to somebody's soul? And we do it all the time. We go to CYC every year, and we're in a city where there's thousands of people that need the gospel. And we just assume somebody else will take care of it. 
And we just put it off. Don't diffuse the responsibility of teaching your children about God to Dustin Perkins. It's not his job. It's your job as a parent. Don't diffuse the responsibility of talking to your neighbor about God to Barry Binion. It's not Barry Binion's job to talk to your neighbor. Don't diffuse the responsibility to spread God's Word. Because as soon as you start diffusing the responsibility, the things that, if you ever think to yourself, somebody else would probably take care of this, that, that's probably a good sign that you need to go ahead and take care of it. You need to be the one to do that. Don't diffuse. Make a move. I always forgot that. When I went over it in my room, I always forgot that second click. That's okay. Don't diffuse. Do something. Do something. After Moses had made all of his excuses to God, he finally just says, God, I just don't want to go. I'm just scared. I just don't want to go. And then in, in verse 12 of chapter 4, or verse 14 of chapter 4, it says, Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And let me tell you something. When we come into this building and we sit down and we hear the Word of God and we know what we're supposed to do, we've been called, and we walk out there and we let the phone ring and we never answer it, the anger, the anger of the Lord is kindled against us as well. We are called to act. In Esther 4, verse 14, Esther is talking to Mordecai. Mordecai is trying to give her some advice. And he says, she's, she has to go talk to the, Jew, uh, the king. She has to decide whether or not she wants to talk to the king. And her, she could lose her life. And Mordecai says to her, in verse 14, he says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. He tells her, he says, Hey, Esther, if you don't want to go, don't. God will deliver us from another source. But then he gives that big but and he says, But you and your families." Your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that for this very reason, you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. God waited for Moses to be in the perfect place before He let him lead His people. God waited for Esther to be in the perfect place. What if He is pushing you towards the perfect place? What if He's pushing you towards something tonight and you're not answering the call? Because yes, God can use anybody. But what if He's trying to use you? What if He's trying to use you? I want you to think about it like this. Where would America be today if it wasn't for a man named George Washington? Where would England be without Winston Churchill? Where would our civil rights be if a man didn't stand up and say, I have a dream? Where would the church be without people like Peter and Paul? And where will Savannah Church of Christ be without people like Bradley Jean? Or John David? Or insert your name. Are you doing something? Are you making a difference? Where would the church be without you? You see, God can use anyone. We see that throughout the book of Judges, right? He uses some terrible people. We've been talking about that in the college class on Sunday mornings. He uses... Samson was a terrible person. But he still completed God's will. God can use anybody. But maybe He's trying to use you. Brother Coleman did a fantastic job last Sunday morning. He talked about puzzle pieces. He talked about how they are made to connect. They're made to fit together. And then he said, we are just like that. We're made to connect. We're made to fit together with each other. And I want to encourage you that in the same way we're made to connect, we're made to fit together, we're also made to act. 
We're made to do. We're made to go out. We've all heard the parable of the talents, right? You know, one was given ten, one was given five, one was given one. And it's not about what they were given, it's about what they did with what they were given. I want to encourage you this evening though, it's not so much that they came back with a profit. It's that they invested. Right? If you get to heaven and no one else is with it, there with you, if you took no one else with you, that doesn't mean you failed. But if you get to heaven and you didn't try to take anyone else with you, that means you failed. You have to do something. We are made to move. In Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, we hear the Great Commission. And it says, Therefore go, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus tells him, He says, Therefore go. In Exodus 4, verse 12, God tells Moses, He says, Now therefore go. Now therefore go. We have not been called to sit in a padded pew. Moses was not called to sit by that well in Midian. He was called to go back to Egypt. And we are also called. The consequences if Moses didn't answer that call would have been that thousands, maybe millions of Jewish people would have died, would have perished. How many people will perish if you don't answer the call that God's given you? But the story doesn't end there, does it? Don't be too afraid to lead. I forgot that one too. The story doesn't end there, does it? No. Moses did get the courage to go. He, t- he took a little help. God had to help him. When Moses said, who am I? God said, it's who I am. It's not who you are, it's who I am. And when Moses said, well, well who are you? God said, I am the I am. I am the God of your fathers. And when Moses said, what if I fail? God said, I will help you succeed and I will be with you. And when Moses said, well, I'm not eloquent. God said, I am. He said, I invented the tongue and I will be with you. I will help you. And then in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, I think it's, it's the perfect verse for this. God says to Moses, and He says, and certainly I will be with you. He said, all those excuses, all those things that you have a problem with, I will be with you. And when Jesus gave the Great Commission, He said the same thing. He said, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. God is with us. And when we say things like, I don't have enough money to help people. I don't have enough brain power. I don't know enough. You're really limiting God. Because God says, I'm with you. I've got you. I'll do the hard stuff. And when when God turned Moses' staff into a serpent, and then back into the staff, and then when God turned Moses' hand leprous and then clean again... He's showing Moses and He's showing us. He's saying, look, all that stuff that you're worried about, all the hard stuff, all the heavy lifting, I'm going to take care of it. I've got you. Don't worry. It's not about our excuses. It's not about our problems. It's all about Him. The final thing I want to look at is in Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 20. Exodus 4, verse 20. It says, So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Moses answered the call. He was called and he went back to the land of Egypt. And I want you to notice what he took with him when he went. He took his family and he took the staff of God. 
No, more than likely, this was probably just an ordinary stick. This was just an ordinary walking stick that he had that God turned into a serpent and turned back into the, the staff. Because God touched it, it became something that Moses could use to prove God's existence, to prove that God was there. And as I read that, I started thinking about my life. And I started thinking about y'all's lives. And I started thinking, what is it in our lives that God has touched? What is it in our lives that God has given us that we can use to help other people? For me, I'm an able-bodied young man. I can you know, help people move. I have a truck. I can do those things. And I can use that skill to help people and bring people to God. Maybe for some of us, we have, you know, we're really smart. We know a lot. Uh, and we can teach classes. We can answer those tough questions. Think about John David because he's so smart. Right? He puts so much effort into them teaching those middle schoolers. But he's using that gift that God has given him. And he's taking that staff with him. What I want to encourage you this evening is when you leave here, don't leave that thing, that skill, in the pew. And when you go back to your house, don't leave it on the sofa. Take it with you. Take the staff of God with you. So will you take up the staff of leadership? Will you take up the staff of servantship? Will you take up the staff of love? Will you take up the staff of parenthood? Will you take up the staff of grace? Will you take up the staff of God? This evening, if you've struggled to answer the call, if you've heard the call, you know God's calling you, and you're struggling to answer it, and you need the prayers of the church, you need the encouragement. If you have any needs whatsoever, please do not hesitate to come as we stand and as we sing.